The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Ecclesia. My name is Erica, and I'm so excited to be back up here. If you've been coming to Ecclesia the past couple weeks, you know that we are in a series right now on John the Gospel of John, and more specifically, the signs in the Gospel of John. And so when I was told to preach within the Gospel of John, I started looking at different stories. And a lot of times when I revisit the Bible, I come with a new interpretive lens and I always notice something different. And I got really excited about three stories in John And I was going to narrow them down, but I decided we're just going to do all three. And I think what's interesting about the Bible is you can read it differently every time. And oftentimes we know biblical stories so well that we forget the magic inside of them. They can be paradoxical and confusing and humorous. But sometimes when we hear them over and over again, we don't see that. And I was reminded of this simple truth when I was teaching Sunday school in Wisconsin, my freshman year of college. And we were gonna do a lesson on Noah's Ark. And I had little kids in my class. And I brought in animal crackers. And my Sunday school classroom actually had a picture of Noah's Ark on the wall. And so we talked about the animals and we ate the crackers and I found a CD that had storms on it. So you play this CD and it was lightning and thunder and rain. And so when it came time for the carpet square learning, all the little kids got their little carpet square and sat down and I flickered the lights and I turned on the storm and the entire room started to cry. And I thought, this went horribly. Um, But I think back on that moment, and I think those kids had it right. Like, Noah's Ark is a scary story. God wiping out humanity and saving a select few is scary. And those kids seem to know how scary this story was more than I did. I thought it was gonna be a cute little story about animals and boy, was I wrong. I had to completely change my lesson plan and we didn't even talk about Noah's Ark the second half because I was just trying to get kids to stop crying from the scary storm that I had created. And as I read John, um, in John 20, which is the most famous Christian story, it's the resurrection of Jesus, Um, I read this differently as I was preparing for the sermon. Because what you need to know is the book of John or the gospel of John is written by John. And in those times, you would never tell a story about yourself. That was not something that was ethical. So if you were to talk about yourself in a story, you'd have to give yourself another name. And in the gospel of John, John calls himself a really humble nickname. He calls himself the one Jesus loved. (laughs) And when we read John 20, knowing that, it becomes a hilarious story. So we're gonna read it together. 
It says, before the sun had risen on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene made a trip to the tomb where his body was laid to rest. In the darkness, she discovered the covering had been rolled away. She darted out of the garden to find Simon Peter and the dearly loved disciple to deliver the startling news. Mary Magdalene said, they have taken the body of our Lord and we cannot find him. Together, they all departed for the tomb to see for themselves. They began to run and Peter could not keep up. The beloved disciple arrived first, but did not go in. So the most important part of Christianity just happened. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John wants you to know that he was loved and faster than Peter. (laughs) Those are the two important takeaways. It gets worse. There was no corpse in the tomb, only the linens and cloths he was wrapped in. When Simon Peter finally arrived, finally, really John, is that necessary? So when Simon Peter finally arrived, he went into the tomb and observed the same. The cloth that covered his face appeared to have been folded carefully in place, not with the linen cloths, but to the side. After Peter pointed this out, the other disciple, you guys, this parenthesis is really in the Bible, who had arrived long before Peter, (laughs) as though we forget who's the fastest, also entered the tomb. And based on what he saw, faith began to well up inside of him. So unlike Peter, faith welled up inside of the beloved disciple. Before this moment, none of them understood the scriptures and why he must be raised from the dead. Then they all went to their homes. And so I read that. And on one hand, I love the gospel of John. It's actually my favorite gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all a retelling of the same stories differently. But John really mixes it up. And I think he's a brilliant writer. And with all that being true, at the same time, he has a little bit of an ego and he inserts it into his writing. And if I'm being honest, I see a lot of myself in John when I read that. See, there was something in middle school called the physical fitness testing, which was my Super Bowl. Um, I would fail spelling tests regularly, but physical fitness testing was my time. Um, I was not the most athletic kid in my class by any means. There was this girl named Melissa Dixon who won everything. She was born with a six pack. An infant, she had a six pack. Um, There was another girl in my class, Carrie Meissen, who could run miles and miles and never get tired. This other girl, Ashley Carmichael, could do pull-ups. And I, as a competitive person, compared myself to all these girls. And at the middle school track meet coming up, I thought, I'm gonna run the 400 meter dash. And this was a strategic decision on my behalf. I knew the fast girls like Melissa Dixon were gonna win the 100 yard dash. I knew the endurance athletes were gonna win the mile. So I thought, I'm gonna be with all the girls that don't know what to sign up for. So they picked the 400 and I'm gonna train for it and I'm gonna win. And so I went home and my dad mapped out 400 yards in our street. And it was down to our stop sign and back, was almost exactly 400 meters. And I would train every night after dinner. I'd time myself, trying to get my time down. 
And when the track meet day came, I was placed on the outside of the track in the farthest lane. And if you've ever run track, you know that if you're on the outside, you actually start farther ahead because those on the inside get the curve and it will all make up for each other eventually the last 100 meters. And so I couldn't really tell who was winning. And the last one, he, 100 meters come and I'm in front and I think, thank, thank the Lord I can at least win one race. And 50 meters to go, I see this cute little bouncy redheaded girl who's not out of breath, which I found, found very annoying, pass me. She had a smile on her face. And, and after the race was over, I thought, who in the heck is Emily Bowen? This girl, she, first of all, she wasn't tired. She beat me. She didn't even care that she won, which I found even more annoying. And Emily became one of my best friends. I was her maid of honor and she was mine. And I thought I'd show a picture of Emily and I to really demonstrate my spiritual growth. So here is Emily and I <laughs> on spring break in college. But to be fair to Emily, there's a more recent photo. Um, that's Emily now. She has a baby and a husband and a dog and Every winter they have a party on the lake and they set it up like a living room and it reminds me that I'm so thankful I live in Houston, Texas right now. <laughs> but I say all this to remind myself and maybe you too, that it's easy to get caught up in the things that don't matter. I think John knew the importance of the resurrection. He wouldn't have written about it if he didn't but he also cared about small things like who got to the tomb first and how often are we focusing on details in our own life that really don't matter and we're ignoring the bigger truth and the bigger invitation that Christ invites us into. Um, I told that track story um, in my maid of honor speech at Emily's wedding. Emily does not even remember this story. She doesn't remember this track meet. And this, this track meet shaped my life, okay? She doesn't remember winning. And in many ways, I think I'm John. I'm keeping score and nobody else was. And so I'm reminded that these stories in John and the characters in the Bible, they're, they're, they have goodness and they also sin. They are simultaneously sinner and saint at the same time. And John was an imperfect person writing about a perfect person. Uh, John continues in the book of John. So John 20 is the resurrection. Shortly after John 21 is a story on the Sea of Galilee. And after Jesus is resurrected, he shows up on the shore of the sea. And I have a photo from when I went to Israel with Ecclesia. That boat is actually, was built to simulate the boats of that time. So Jesus showed up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John 21. And he was looking at a bunch of his friends in a boat together trying to catch fish. And this is probably a lot like the picture that Jesus was actually looking like looking at, only it was filled with people. And in John 21, the fishermen are not catching anything. 
And Jesus commands them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And because he's Jesus and miracles happen when Jesus tells you to do something, the fishermen brought in a net filled with fish. And Jesus had a fire burning on the shore and he was gonna make all of his friends breakfast. And there's this joke that resurrection burns a lot of calories. So Jesus was just really hungry and he was impatient that his friends couldn't catch any fish. And Bob Goff says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't give a big sermon or make a speech. He made his friends breakfast. And that reminds me a lot of actually what Ecclesia is doing in Venezuela. I think sometimes when problems and injustice seem so vast, it's hard to even know where to start. And I think Jesus knew that there was something really sacred about feeding people. And I think of Ecclesia going to Venezuela and we don't know how to solve these complicated problems, but we do know that we can show up and be the hands and feet of Christ and bring our Venezuelan brothers and sisters Christmas bread on Christmas. Because it's something simple and sacred. And so I think this act of making your friends breakfast and fresh fish in the morning was a really sacred act. And while this was going on, Jesus and Peter had a really interesting exchange in John 21. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these other things? Simon Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my lambs. Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter said, yes, Lord, you must surely know that I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. For the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the same question a third time, do you love me? By the way, um, Jesus was really strategic in how he asked questions. I don't think Jesus was somebody that needed a lot of validation. He didn't need to hear from the same person that he was loved three times. Instead, Jesus asked Simon Peter three times because it was very symbolic of the three times that Peter rejected Christ. So if you remember, there were three different accounts that Simon Peter denied Christ. So Christ, Jesus was strategic in asking him three times. Simon Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, look after my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you would dress yourself and go wherever you please. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and take you to a place you do not want to go. Next slide. Jesus said all this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this conversation, Jesus said, follow me. So this is a really simple command, sounds simple. Follow me, Peter. Peter turned around to the disciples loved by Jesus following the two of them. The same disciple who leaned back on Jesus' side during their supper and asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? So the main takeaway from that side is follow me. Jesus is asking Peter, will you follow me? And Peter responds, not with yes, but he says, Lord, and what will happen to this man? 
So Peter's first response is, well, why are you asking me? What about these guys, right? What about this guy? Why doesn't he have to follow you? Why did he pick me? And Jesus said, if I choose for him to remain till I return, what difference will this make to you? You follow me. It is with this exchange that Jesus, with, with this exchange with Jesus that some thought this disciple would not die. But Jesus never said that. He said, if I choose for him to remain till I return, what difference will this make to you? And I think about that story and how often are we given an invitation from God or from Christ, an invitation to step more fully into who we are, but we're so concerned about the people around us, what they're doing, what they're thinking, that we're too busy looking to the side of us as opposed to within us and accepting greater invitations. And I know this showed up in my own life. I was on a walk about three years ago with my friend Trisha. And Trisha and I always get into really deep conversations. And she asked me a question that I'll never forget. She said, Erica, if you could do anything and you weren't afraid to do it, what would you do? Who would you be? And I didn't know I knew the answer to that question, but I immediately said I'd be a pastor. And it surprised me. And so the next question is, so why are you afraid to be a pastor? And I said, well, I'm kind of young. I dye my hair bright blonde and I wear eyeliner like every day. I don't know why that matters, but I don't want my pastor to do those things. <laughs> I don't. Um, also, this, this Jesus character was a marginalized person um, who stood up for the margins and my husband was in the NFL. So I just feel like there are so many reasons why I should not be up here. But I listened to my answer and everything I was afraid of was what other people were gonna think. And I was judging myself. Who am I to be up here? I know way too much about myself, right? And I think that's what this story is about. It's about Jesus asking Peter, will you follow me? And Peter is immediately worried about other things instead of accepting a calling or an invitation to become more fully who he already is. And I find myself often doing that in my own life. And both these stories, the resurrection of Jesus and John and the story with Peter remind me that we are never all saint or all sinner. We are always simultaneously both. That's a very Lutheran tradition and a Lutheran theology to say. But they have this thing in Lutheranism, that in, in the Lutheran tradition, that we are simultaneously sinner and saint. And if you look at John, who was a brilliant writer and a great guy, he had a little bit of an ego. And you look at Peter, who was a faithful follower, but he rejected Jesus three times. And I think we forget that humanity is messy and complicated. And unless you're Jesus, you're a sinner and a, you're a saint. And you're not just one of those things because we are all human 
We are all deeply flawed, yet we are all made perfect in his image at the same time. And the last story in John that I think really hits this idea of being simultaneously sinner and saint is in John 8. And it's the story of the adulterer and trying to stone her to death. So it reads, the Pharisees approached Jesus and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses says in the law that we are to kill such women by stoning. What do you say about it? So what you need to know is this is John 8, but earlier in John 7, there was something called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was this huge party on the last day. And my guess is that in John 8, right after this feast, there's a story about two people committing adultery and they're caught in the act and they're ready to put this woman to death because they probably drank too much at this party and they did something they were not supposed to be doing. And these Pharisees, are using Jesus' own text from Moses' law or the Torah to shove it in his face and say, hey, if you're who you say you are, if you really follow Moses' law, then you're gonna put this woman to death. Because Leviticus reads, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteresses are to be put to death. So they're shoving this Bible, or we call it a Bible, but they're shoving the Torah and Moses' law in Jesus' face. And they're saying, okay, it's time to do what, the, what our law says. And I have some horrible news for you. If we are gonna be really tough on Levitical law, um, Leviticus says you cannot eat shellfish. It says you cannot wear two different kinds of fabric at one time. I'm wearing polyester and cotton. I'm a sinner. Uh, it says that you cannot shave your beard. And I totally pluck this one chin hair that I have, you guys. <laughs> I do. I really do. So I am a Levitical code violator. And we all know people like this, that cherry pick verses out of the Bible to shame other people and not putting them in a larger context. And I think Jesus was thinking what we think about those people, like, whoa, you're missing the whole point. And so Jesus doesn't care what Leviticus, what was it? Leviticus 20.10 says. And Rachel Held Evans has this to say. They wanted to see if this Jesus fellow who ate with the tax collectors and prostitutes and who touched the ritually impure could be tough on sin. So they picked a clear cut sin with a clear cut consequence a biblical slam dunk, and they passed around the stones. The story continues. This was all set up as a test for Jesus. His answers would give them grounds to accuse him of crimes against Moses' law. Jesus bent over and wrote something in the dirt with his finger. They persisted in badgering Jesus, so he stood up straight. So what's interesting is Jesus is clearly frustrated and his response is to bend over and he writes something in the dust with his finger. And when I first read that, I thought, you know what? I bet Jesus is angry and he doesn't want what he wants to say 
in a permanent form. So he's writing it in the dust. Because have you ever sent an angry email that you instantly regretted and then you can't delete it? I have. There's no, there's no head nods, but I've done that before. But that's actually not what Jesus was writing. In fact, if we know from John, we know from John 7 that the Feast of the Tabernacles was a feast that um, you'd often pray for vegetation and you would pray for rain. And one verse in the Torah is from Jeremiah. And the, if you don't have rain, you have dust. The dirt becomes dust. And there's a quote in Jeremiah on dust. And it says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. And so many scholars believe that while Jesus was all frustrated, he bent down and he wrote the names of the people that had stones in their hand. He wrote the names of those who had committed adultery. Or, or some scholars believe that he wrote the names of the women that the men had committed adultery with. And he was reminding them with this last phrase in the story. And that is, let the first stone be thrown by the one among you who has not sinned. And I wonder how often in our lives are we quick to call out the sin in others without looking in the mirror? How often are we so set on this idea that other people are sinners that we forget to look for the sainthood within them too? You know, we do this with entire groups of people, right? We label whole groups of people as, as committing certain acts and doing certain things. And the story of the Good Samaritan, one reason I love that story so much is Jesus's audience in that story would have hated Samaritans. So Jesus was very tactical in when he told that story because he knew that the hearers would not wanna call a Samaritan good. And they would not wanna admit that a Samaritan has saint, sainthood within them too. But these stories constantly remind us that we are sinner and saint. And if we want to project just one thing onto each other, we're going to have a tough time. Um, when Garrett and I first moved here in 2010, we were church shopping. And we didn't really find a church that we loved. And then 2011 came and we heard about this church called Ecclesia on Taft Street. And we started going to Ecclesia and it felt like a real community, like a community where everyone wasn't pretending to be so perfect. And we liked it. And there was this one moment where I knew Ecclesia would probably be our church. And it was when we were eating ice cream. And my husband is one of those people with a ridiculous amount of self-control. And after dinner, he'll open up a Ben and Jerry's, he'll take one bite, he then puts the cat back on and puts it in the freezer. <laughs> like a psychopath. <laughs> and I, like a normal person, eat the pint of ice cream. And this is a continual fight within our house. Where's my ice cream? 
I had it, how is it gone? Because that's what people do. You're not normal, I am. This is 50% 50 of our marital fighting is over ice cream. And so we had just found Ecclesia and we were having this routine fight of, did you really eat it all? And um, I just stood there and he shook his head and he looked at me and he said, but you greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're listening in church. That's one of our prayers. And I knew Ecclesia would be our church because my husband could quote the, pair, the prayers of Ecclesia. But I say all this, and, and later on, after we made Ecclesia our home church, we invited Pastor Chris. This is when Ecclesia was smaller. And we invited Pastor Chris over for dinner. And I hadn't furnished our apartment yet. So I went out and I bought a card table and uh, four flimsy folding chairs. And we had a grill on our porch, which you were not supposed to have in our apartment, but we risked it all for Pastor Chris. And we made steak on that grill and Pastor Chris came over. And I was at a, a low point in my life that year. I was active in my addiction to a prescription medication. Uh, I was in a really dark personal space. I had just applied for my dream job at Lululemon, and I bought an overpriced athleisure wear outfit to show up for the interview, and I did not get that job. My life felt like it was over. And Pastor Chris came over, and he started talking to me about maybe starting a charity while Garrett was in the NFL. And I thought, this guy has no idea who I am. Like, I can't, I can't even get any kind of job right now. Like, does, he, he doesn't know just how bad I am. If he knew how bad I was, he wouldn't be telling me that I could run a charity. I can't even, I can't even manage my own life right now, let alone raise money and be responsible. And today we've raised almost $2 million for children in Houston public high schools. And I tell you this because it took somebody finding some saint in me for me to forgive the sinner. And if we're looking to be all perfect or all bad, I think we're living in the wrong place because we are all living in our messy humanity and we are simultaneously sinner and saint. And these stories in the Bible remind me continually that unless you're Jesus, that is true. And not only is that okay, but it's beautiful because grace saves us all. And because of grace, we are free to be who we are we can make mistakes and we can show up for a life of resurrection and truth and healing because that's what that story is all about. Ecclesia, let me pray with you. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into our weeks that we will live into your calling. I pray that when we feel an invitation from you in our bones that we won't look to our neighbors or to our sides, but we will look within and through you. I pray that we will pay attention to your bigger story, 
to your resurrected life and not get caught up in the petty details of who's winning and who's losing because the battle is already won. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.